Well, good morning and welcome. It is a huge privilege to be able to speak to you this morning as we close up our Jesus Man of Action series. And um, myself, Rich and Will are going to be talking to you about a tale of three cities. And I'm going to be looking at the question, what do you want the king to do for you? Will is going to be looking at what has the king already done? And Richard will be looking at what is the king going to do? So if you've got your Bibles, please join me in turning to Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read from verses 46 onwards. And this is the story of blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight. So it says this, then they came to Jericho, so city number one, Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I imagine Bartimaeus waking up that morning. He's brushing the straw from his bed off his body. He throws his cloak on his back, and he feels his way to the busy roadside where he would sit and beg every single day. But today is not like any other day. Just picture the scene. There are thousands, if not more people, traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And I imagine that Bartimaeus would have been sat down and he suddenly starts hearing commotion. Maybe there's the occasional, Hosanna, Hosanna. Maybe there's people talking and recounting the miracles and the life of Jesus. Maybe there's people starting to say, hey, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And suddenly Bartimaeus realizes that Jesus is here. Now just imagine how loud Bartimaeus would have had to have been, how much commotion he must have had to have caused to get the attention of Jesus over that crowd. You know, I as a parent have a lot of experience in needing to make noise and commotion to be heard. Uh, Twice a week, I'll take my two eldest daughters to school, Evie and Kaylee, and it always goes the same way. Kaylee will be trailing behind me on her scooter, she'll be crying. She'll be telling me that it's too much and she's tired and she expects me to carry her around the scooter, which is ridiculous. (laughs) Evie, on the other hand, will be half a mile ahead up the road and she'll literally be about to turn around a corner, never to be seen again, and I will be there like, Evie! Evie! And eventually, after humiliating myself in front of the other parents taking their kids to school, she'll turn around and she'll be like, like she's done nothing wrong. But you know what? Bartimaeus would have done everything that he could have to have gotten the attention of Jesus. He would have shouted, he would have screamed, he would have caused some real commotion. And there is a lot that you and I can learn from Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus clearly knows who Jesus is. 
He says, son of David, have mercy on me. And who is the son of David? When Jeremiah 23, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Jesus is the one true king of God's people. He is the one true king of Israel. And he has been consistently bringing about his kingdom, but in a very different way. He's not bringing about his kingdom through acts of violence or military power. He brings about his kingdom through healing the sick, through signs and wonders, through serving, through the forgiveness of sins, and ultimately through his own death and resurrection. Bartimaeus was blind, and as a result, he would have been unable to work. He would have literally have been begging to survive, and he would have lived most of his life in extreme poverty. Now, like a lot of beggars in his time, Bartimaeus would have likely have shouted, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And when he was doing this, he was asking God's people to remember their obligations to the poor, to provide and to give to those in need. Deuteronomy 15 says that God commands his people to give to the poor and not to neglect the poor. Throughout scripture, themes of giving, providing for, caring for, listening to, and ensuring justice for the poor are prevalent. So when a beggar like Bartimaeus would ask for alms, there is a history and an understanding that he was asking about um, that they would fulfill their obligations as God's people. It wasn't just the same as saying, oh, can you spare some change? There was a real history and meaning behind this. It was about bringing order out of chaos. You know, when people live in extreme poverty, their lives can be unordered and chaotic. And there is something so unjust and so wrong about poverty. You know, I wonder if Bartimaeus had previously heard the words of the prophet Jeremiah when he shouts out, son of David, have mercy on me. He was literally spent every day of his life asking for justice and mercy. And yet finally he sees the one true king, the one who was sent to bring justice and mercy. And ultimately it is Jesus who gives alms to the poor. So what does Jesus do? We see that he heals this man's sight. But he's not only giving this man back his eyesight, he's giving him back his ability to work, to feed himself, to live life. He's literally giving Bartimaeus the opportunity to get out of poverty. He's bringing about restoration to the life of Bartimaeus, and in so doing, he is bringing his kingdom at the same time. You know, let me ask you, do you relate naturally to Bartimaeus? You know, you might be thinking here, well, no. I'm not, I'm not blind, I'm not living in absolute poverty where I am on the streets begging every day. But that doesn't mean that yours and my life are in complete order. It doesn't mean that there are things that we don't need Jesus' help with. Are you here today and are you sick? Are you struggling? Are there things in your life that you need Jesus' help for? If so, learn from the example of Bartimaeus. Cry out to him. Shout to him today. And actually, at the end of this meeting, there'll be an opportunity where we can do that together. We can pray and cry out to Jesus together for whatever it is that you need. You know, we'll cry out and ask that God's kingdom will come in your life today. 
And you know what? Even if it doesn't, there is still reason for hope because one day God's kingdom will come in its fullness. And Rich is going to be talking to us about that later on. One day there will be no sickness, there will be no pain, there will be no poverty. So there is every reason to have hope this morning. You know, maybe you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus. Let me ask you the question again. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Bartimaeus' life would have been tough because he was blind and needed help. He was completely dependent on others. But one thing that he didn't need, one thing that he already had, was faith in Jesus. Jesus says to him, go, your faith has healed you. Let me ask you, do you have faith in Jesus this morning? There were a lot of voices that tried to quiet Bartimaeus. They told him, don't make a fuss. Be quiet. Sit still. Jesus isn't interested in hearing from you. How wrong they were. How wrong they were. So my encouragement to you today is to be like Bartimaeus. Don't listen to the crowd or voices telling you to keep quiet and to sit still, but actually reach out to the one true king, Jesus, the man of action this morning. Jesus didn't ignore Bartimaeus and he will not ignore you this morning either. Jesus completely changed the life of Bartimaeus for the good and I believe that he can and will do the same for you today. So my encouragement to you is call out to Jesus today. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Can we please give Will a huge hand as he comes and brings God's word to us. Amen. Praise God for who he is. Praise God for his word. And it's great to see you. Um, Charles Dickens wrote A Tale of Two Cities. A Tale of Three Cities perhaps would have been more useful today. It's the tale of three cities, as we know. Matthew has shown us what took place in Jericho, the first city. I'm going to show us what took place on the way into Jerusalem, the second city, before Rich shows us what happens in the new Jerusalem, the third city. But So now they're on the way to Jerusalem, the second city. And on their way into Jerusalem, Mark gives us an event that so angers the enemies of Jesus that they arrest him and kill him four days after this event. They become so fearful of his escalating power that they have to shut him down. They have to stop him. And that is no accident. What does Jesus say in 1045? He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So what is this event that gets things moving towards the cross. Let's find out. Let's take a look. Read with me from Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs it. And we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? 
They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they cut down in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So, quick summary. Jesus, on the way into Jerusalem, tells his disciples to go and commandeer a donkey. Grand theft donkey, if you will. They do that. They bring it to Jesus. He sits on it. And as he sits on it, this massive crowd erupt in praise and shouts of acclamation, all directed at Jesus. And it is the crowd that gives us clues as to what is actually going on here. Specifically, what they do, firstly, and secondly, what they say. Let's look at what they do. What does it say in verse 8? It says that they spread their cloaks on the road. So the crowd recognized the greatness of Jesus, and this is a way of showing their surrender to him. What else do they do? They bring in branches. These would have been palm trees, and the palm trees were a symbol of joy. This is a joyful event. But look at what they say. Look at verse 9. We're told that those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is not random noise or blank verse, indiscriminate rabble. It's calculated. They know what they're saying. Hosanna means save now. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord is a quote from a messianic psalm, Psalm 118. This is what you sing when the Messiah's in town. And they do that because they recognize that right in front of their eyes, Jesus is announcing to them, to the world, like some kind of press release, that he is God's king. And as God's king, he is the true king. And God's king was always going to have a coronation in this way. It was always going to happen in this way. Centuries before this, Zechariah the prophet, when he was in exile, prophesied that God's king would enter Jerusalem in exactly this way. Look at Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This event then is the coronation of God's king. And because it's God's king, this is the true king. And notice within this event, there is a lot of hidden majesty. Notice how Jesus knows ahead of time how the people who own this donkey will respond when the disciples just say, the Lord needs it. What happens? They let go of the donkey. And how does he know that? Because he's the true king. This is, he's all-knowing. This is divine omniscience. Notice in verse 7 what happens when this Uh, uh, sorry, what we're told about the donkey is that this is a donkey that's never been ridden before in verse 2. 
Have you ever played the game Buckaroo before? Have you ever played that game where you hang the hooks on the donkey and it kicks? Donkeys who haven't been ridden before are supposed to throw people off um, and buck and kick. But what does it say in verse 7? It says, he sat on it. He just sits on this donkey, never been ridden before. How? Why? He's the true king. He's all powerful. The donkey knows that. This is divine omnipotence on display. But more than that, notice this. Notice what he isn't riding. He isn't riding on an Alexander the Great type war horse, wielding a sword um, and rallying the militia. He's not doing that. What he is doing is riding on a donkey, a symbol of lowliness and gentleness and peace. And that is because he is the true king. And the true king redefines kingship and redefines power. And true kingship and true power goes on into Jerusalem. He knows he has to get there. Look how intentional he is about going to Jerusalem. Look at chapter 10, 33 and 34. We are going to Jerusalem. He said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And Jesus goes there on Friday, four days after this event, on Passover Friday, and at the same time, thousands of lambs are being slaughtered in the temple courts. And as Jesus goes to that place, to the cross, he takes the blame of all the horrors of human sin, past, present, and future. They're literally heaped into his body. And in that moment, he faces the full wrath and rightful anger of God as sin is judged in him. He becomes the scapegoat. So what then has Jesus done for me? What then has he done for you? He's served us. And he served us by dying for us so that we can be forgiven people and a pardoned people and a singing people, people who sing with the songwriter who wrote these words. He wrote, praise my soul, the king of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, Who like you his praise should sing? Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Praise the everlasting king. Will you receive the true king? Will you receive the cross? Amen. Over to you, Rich. Brilliant. Good morning. Thank you so much, Will. Great to be with you this morning. And so we spent the last six weeks exploring Jesus, the man of action, the healings, the miracles, the provisions, the heralding of a new kingdom. And now we're left with the home leg of the whole series. And that responsibility falls to me. Today, we've, uh, we've heard about Jesus in Jericho, and we've seen what happens when a blind man 
comes and puts his hope in, in what Jesus just might do for him. And then we've heard about Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem, the great city, where he will go to the cross and what that means for us all, of course, as well. And I can think of no better way to wrap up this whole series, these last six weeks, and all that we've heard and learned about, and all that we've seen in Jesus, all that he's done, than by taking you to the third and final city, in which we see all the strands and all the stories and all of the accounts of his life come together. And it's in this part of the story and in this city that we also find the conclusion and the climax to our story as well. So for this, we need to go to city number three. And uh, to do that, we need to go right to the end of the whole story, to the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, where the climax of all human history and fulfillment of uh, God's history-spanning pl- history plan is achieved. This city is the new Jerusalem, the new creation where God and his people will one day dwell together in perfect harmony forever. And the world that we inhabit now, as beautiful and as broken as it is, will be completely renewed. And, and we, the, the people of God, and all the nations are completely set free from death and decay. The Apostle John, who writes this book, writes the book of Revelation, he has this prophetic vision of this coming kingdom city. He says this in Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5. I think it'll come up on the screen as well. You can join along. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, which is a sign of chaos in, uh, in Greek thinking. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Brothers and sisters, as we navigate life in the Jerichos and the Jerusalems and the Pools and the Bournemouths and all the highs and lows of human life as we know it, as we consider relationship with Christ, accepting that in in this iteration of history, sometimes blindnesses get cured and sometimes they don't and sometimes people recognize Jesus as Lord and sometimes they don't and that sometimes this life brings great joy and sometimes it brings deep sorrow, we must remember also that as we run with perseverance, this race that's been marked out for us, that there is a city and there will be a day for the followers of Christ in which blindness and all human ailments are eradicated and and wiped clear and there will be no mistaking the absolute lordship of Jesus because we'll see him face to face and he will remove all pain and all death and every tear and he'll dwell with us fully and the old ways, the ways of this world, they'll be done away with. He rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey as Wills pointed out, the humble king 
en route to the cross. That was a very deliberate statement, riding a donkey. But the Bible tells us that when he comes again, it won't be on the back of a donkey. He will come as the rider on a white horse in perfect victory. And he will metaphorically be wearing many crowns because he is the king that rules all the kings and always has. And as this passage tells us, he's making all things new. And you and I are invited in. This is the great destiny of the people of God. This is how John then goes on to describe this coming kingdom, this heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. This is from Revelation 21 and 22. I've kind of paraphrased this a bit just in the interest of our time together. He says, I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The foundations of the city walls were decorated. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, and so on. The 12 gates were each made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. And I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Then I saw the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of this river stood the tree of life, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on our foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever within this incredible city of natural beauty adorned with all manner of precious stones and metals where we will dwell with God. We, we see this. We see there is no temple. And that's because the temple is symbolically where you go to meet with God at a set time. That's how it was in Jerusalem. But in the new Jerusalem, this has been replaced with the reality that God's presence and nearness is all around us. And we'll see him face to face and meet with him always and forever because he has made his dwelling with us. And there's no sun or moon, no lamp, because in the new Jerusalem, God's glory and beauty and brilliance will light up the whole cosmos. And look, flowing from the throne of God is the river of life. And on the banks of this river is the tree of life. That's the same tree that was denied to us in Eden when we sinned against God. And now it's freely available for us to feast on. And one day we will drink from that river and we will feast on the fruit of the tree and we'll know eternal life with God. And there will be a complete and eternal absence of physical or spiritual want the life to come, brothers and sisters, will be a life of abundance and perfection in the city of our God. And those of us who've said yes to him will be welcomed in that place. And therein do we find the bookends of the story of God and his people. 
where in Genesis we see day and night created and a sun and a moon made, a tree of life that's denied because Satan and sin have caused separation between us and God, one day we see that story fully redeemed in the new Jerusalem where again a river will flow and the tree of life will stand and there'll be no nighttime darkness and Satan and his death are forever banished and we find fullness of life in eternity with our God. Eden will have been fully and finally restored. What do you need, Jesus, to help you make right today in your life? Look to him. Call out to him. He heals blindnesses of all sorts and he repairs souls. Maybe your ailment is physical or emotional and you need him to remove it from you like he did for Bartimaeus. Maybe your ailment is spiritual and there's, there's a different kind of blindness over your eyes. This is Jesus, the man of action. He makes things right. He brings peace and healing and reconciliation. That's what we've been talking about these last six weeks. That's what he does. And because of what he's done on the cross, the hope of life in him and the hope of citizenship one day in the new Jerusalem, that's freely yours. It's a free gift. It's available to you and I today. And what a wonderful gift it is. Put your trust in him today for all that you need. And as you do, let faith arise that one day he will come again for you, the people that he has loved eternally. And when he does, there'll be no more darkness, death or curse, every single tear wiped away for you and I, his beloved. Jesus, the man of action, is making all things new. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that when we talk about you being the man of action, what we're essentially saying and declaring and uh, putting our trust in is the fact that, and the reality that you have done all that is necessary to give us life eternal. You've done all that is necessary to bring us into the family of God. You've done all that is necessary to offer us salvation and even greater than that, adoption into your family. And now the temple curtain is torn and you said, come. And it's freely available to us, irrespective of who we are, our background, race, creed, biography, whatever. You say, come. And so, Lord, today we say yes to you again. And I would pray that for anybody in this room who is experiencing physical or emotional ailments, that just like Bartimaeus, you would meet them and you'd bring healing and peace again. God, I pray that for anyone in this room who is suffering from a spiritual blindness, Lord, would you remove the scales from their eyes? Would you help us to see you anew, afresh again, even those of us who've known you for many years? Would you draw us close again? And Jesus, I pray that in spite of life's ups and downs, just as it says in your word, you've put eternity in the hearts of men, that we would live running this race, knowing the future glory that awaits us because of all that you are and all that you've done. God, be glorified, I pray. Amen.